0: How do we unite our divided country? Welcome to The Hub for Important Ideas. I'm Steve James. And I'm Ken
1: Swain. In this episode, we look at the differences between the liberal and conservative alignments in our culture and explore ways to unite our fractured society.
0: We're going to play for you another interview we conducted recently with Dr. Dan Lichty. Dan Lichty, Ph.D., Doctor of Ministry, is a professor of social work at Illinois State University, where he teaches human behavior. He is trained in academic religious studies, mental health work, and pastoral counseling, and is a licensed clinical social worker. He is the world's foremost authority on the work of Ernest Becker, and is the author or editor of nine books, including The Ernest Becker Reader, Transference and Transcendence, death and denial, and reflecting on faith in a post-Christian time. He is also an avid amateur folk singer. Here's the interview with Dr. Lichty.
1: Normally, when Steve says, review the basic ideas of Ernest Becker, I basically get ready to take a nap, because, <laughs> I, because I, I, th- I think I know what that is. And then you start out right away yeah. You don't say anything about mortality salience or death denial. You're talking about expanded transference. And I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Expanded <laughs> transference? What the fuck is that? And I'm, so I'm just like listening along like, wow, this I'm learning new stuff here. Dan's like, he, he's not getting to the stuff that I thought it was going to be until the last, the last little tagline.
0: Okay, all right, all right. there you, you go. You got a document to refer to. You got to follow the yellow brick road, you <laughs> here you go. I guess.
1: I guess. <laughs> right.
0: Okay, let's start again. Three, two, one. Dan, welcome back to the hub. We really appreciate your being with us again. Good to see you again. Thank you. Let me start by just reading us something here that we had sent you. It has to do with this whole moral foundations theory. Mm-hmm. I'm referencing MoralFoundations.org. Right. Moral Foundations Theory was created by a group of social and cultural psychologists to understand why morality varies so much across cultures, yet still shows so many similarities and recurrent themes. Right. In brief, the theory proposes that several innate and universally available psychological systems are the foundations of, quote, intuitive ethics. Morality, yes. Each culture then constructs virtues, narratives, institutions on top of these foundations, thereby creating the unique moralities we see around the world and conflicting within nations, too.
2: I would say that these are values that all people hold, Mm-hmm. but for some people they're dominant and other people they're subdominant right and moral foundations theory is trying to look at what all as far as we know all, you know as far as we can tell i mean we don't know what happened before there was writing but you know what are the things that that all people tend to hold in common all cultures tend to hold in common and then ask the question if we hold all these things in common then why do we have so many differences as well and what they're seeing is that the differences are not differences of kind, they're differences
0: of emphasis. Right. Yeah. So can you list the moral foundations for us? And we can discuss them a little bit. But you know, what, what are they? There are six of them, as far as we know, at this point.
2: Well, the first one is care and harm. In other words, and, and I'm using my own terms here, maybe not the ones that, if you, that are on the website there, but care and harm. In other words, there's a preference for caring and a dispreference for harming. There's a sense that when you act in a caring way, that's good. And when you're purposely harmful to others, that's not good. Hmm. And that's one of them. Another one is the idea of fairness and justice, that that's when we treat people with fairness and justice, that's a good thing. When we treat them unfairly and unjust. That's not a good thing. Now, again, you know,
0: if we we cheat, cheat, right, if we cheat,
2: that's not a good thing. This all combines with other elements of the system. But there is the idea that, well, it's okay to cheat people who are not part of your clan, Ah, for example, but that that would be where the loyalty and betrayal kind of in-group preference comes in. And that's another one of the axioms that, generally speaking, we honor loyalty Mm -hmm and see disloyalty as not good and that relates to this idea of what psychologists call in-group preference to do sure. harm to your in-group because you're doing a favor for the out-group for those that are not in your in-group we call that treason basically and yeah. you know betrayal so sure. right betrayal and that yeah. that's pretty much holds across cultures there is a preference for the words I use with my class is liberty and oppression. In other words, there's a preference for allowing people to feel free, not in the sense of like free to do anything you want, but a sense that their life is their own life, rather than being tyrannized by other by you know by power or something like that. Now, now this gets us into trouble, especially with our current terminology with libertarianism and all that kind of stuff. This idea that all freedom is, is essentially economic freedom that doesn't hold at all. Even the most, what would you say, the most embedded European peasant would rather feel that in their daily life, they're doing what they like to do than constantly having the the boot on their neck is how we say it. But that doesn't mean that what they want is economic freedom. (laughs) I mean, Tolstoy found this out when he, quote, freed the serfs that were on his land, you know, his estate. (laughs) They didn't know what to do. The first, my understanding anyway, is that the first question one asked him when he said, now you're free, you can, and then they said, well, then who do we pay our taxes to? People don't necessarily want to just be totally free with no rules and so forth. So that's one thing. But on the other hand, nobody likes the boot, you know, that image of the boot on your neck kind of thing. Another one is the idea of, of authority. Right. This kind of relates to that. The idea that we are people who live under authority and that we owe certain kinds of allegiance to that authority. And that we tend to look askance at those who purposely undermine authority. Okay. And I think we see that in the American political system a lot, where one side sees the other as subversive, as undermining authority. But now, I mean, look how upset the liberal side has gotten when Trump doesn't want to admit that he lost or whatever, they see that as subversive. We're saving our democracy. Right. On both sides, there's a tendency to look really askance at those who undermine authority.
1: You can and say it, the same thing about people wearing masks or not wearing masks for I mean, COVID. It's too bad
2: that that should be something much more objective. Mm-hmm. but And it's too bad that that got mixed up into this ideology. But yeah, I yeah. mean, there are those. You know, what was that? I was listening to something the other day where it was a news report where a woman said, you can't make me wear a mask. There's nowhere in the constitution that says I have to wear a mask. That's really kind of an apples and oranges thing in terms of the comparison. But on the other hand, she definitely felt that to tell her what she had to do was undermining, was running against what she took to be the authority of the constitution. So we all have our respect for authority and we all have our resistance to that which we see is subverting that authority.
1: Steve and I were talking about this just before, and we were asking that exact thing. Where in the Constitution do you go to say that you can shut people's businesses down? Because for a lot of people, it's not just wearing a mask. There's a lot of restaurateurs and other businesses who have lost their livelihood and are likely never going to get it back.
2: Yeah, and again, this is just poor imaginative planning on the part of this administration long before we talked about shutting businesses down, we should have had clear programs in effect. We're talking about a matter of months that businesses need to be shut down. So the question is not shutting them down permanently, but the question is how do we help them stay afloat, at least minimally, during these months when we need to shut down. And it feels like threatening with death, practically, with murder, to just say yeah. you have to shut down when there's no well, program in place to tie you over. Yeah. It practically is murder. Yeah, in a way, it's certainly economic murder. And, none, then the, but in, and then one more that I haven't but, talked about here is what in my classes I call sanctity versus degradation. There's this idea that there are certain things that are holy, that are sacred, you should treat with respect, and that we... Have a sometimes almost a regurgitation aversion when we see these things being just desecrated, right. right? So, for example, it's one thing to hear that someone murdered somebody, it's a whole nother thing to hear that they murdered them and ate their heart and you know had intercourse with the corpse. <laughs> you know, there's something there's something which, that goes which with, is
1: in which is in here, by the which, way. It's very upsetting yeah. to read that part.
2: Yeah, well, there's things that go beyond. Not even all that. Just say that they dug up the body and cut up the corpse. There's something about the human body that has a certain kind of dignity or a certain kind of it's a, a temple. There's a the temple. Body yeah, is a
0: temple. And yeah, then sanctity. Right. It has to do with purity and cleanliness. A and, lot of
2: that. A lot of that. And just those things which are set aside and holy. And the more mundane example would be the way that some people can get so exercised by watching American flag being mistreated. Oh, yeah. Right. Right Yeah. You know? yeah. And it's,
0: a, it's a crime in some places. Yeah.
2: In Judaism, I mean, I had to learn. You, there are certain kinds of things you just don't do. To me, a book is a book, mm. right? You mm-hmm. don't, but you don't take your Torah and set it on the floor underneath your chair. Wow. Because it can, or not yeah. even just the Torah, the songbook, <laughs> wow. because wow. it has the name of God in it. Mm. I mean, we're talking about liberal Judaism here. You know, yeah. we're talking about reform, liberal Judaism. I had to learn, as a Protestant, we just thought of the Bible, it was the content of the Bible that was holy, but not the book not itself. The thing. The, right. Yeah, it was just a book, but there's rules in what you can do with, with a Torah or with a songbook, and then if it's a Torah scroll, then it's even yeah. more so. Then there's even rules for how, when a Torah scroll becomes, you know, you can't use it anymore, then you have to, you have to bury it in a certain way, and all this kind of stuff. There's no reason for that. I mean, when you think about it, I mean that kind of I guess I still have that kind of iconoclastic Protestant perspective of like, well, that's all just superstition or that's all, but you know it's not just superstition.
0: Yeah, no. but the same is true for the flag.
1: I was you know, in the Boy Scouts. There were all these rules about oh
0: the flag, yeah. Right? Absolutely. It can't, right. it can't
1: it can't be out after dark, it's gotta be lit.
0: It can't touch,
1: it can't touch the ground. Right. Once once, once it's past the point where it's uh, tattered or dirty, you can't throw it away. It has to be burned. It has to be
0: cut. It has to be cut into three precise pieces. Yeah. And then it can be burned because once it's cut into those three pieces, it's not the flag anymore. Oh, this is. Wow. Oh yeah. That's. Oh yeah. You're in some stuff here. My uncle Dan was the foremost authority in the United States, probably the world. On how to treat the flag,
2: I think there's probably a Russian guy somewhere that knew. Yeah, war. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably. But, I think you're probably yeah. right about that.
0: But but this is a thing.
2: So like, that's a basic idea that yeah. we have in all cultures. You mm-hmm. find things that are holy. Now they're all different things, you know. That mm-hmm. that varies from culture to culture. But we all find things that are holy, that are sacred, that are set apart, and that we just have a certain aversion to watch and be. mistreated and degraded and so forth.
0: But you made a good point. You're saying where you're coming from, a book is just a book. Right. It's the content that's holy or sacred, but to a different group, Mm -hmm. it's the scroll and the book as well. So Mm -hmm. that gets us to how divided we are as a society and this liberal conservative divide that we're finding almost impossible to bridge. Now, how do we get across this divide and converse intelligently with these other folks?
2: Well, I think moral foundations theory is important because it gives us a window into, instead of just seeing ourselves as divided, Mm -hmm. we hold these values, you hold these values. Moral foundations theory rather says, no, we all hold these six things. We just hold them in different one trumps the other in certain (laughs) situations. We all believe that fairness and justice is better than unfairness and injustice. But we have different ways, when we have to weigh one value against the other, that might not be as high on the list for one side as let's say loyalty betrayal. Right. And it's not a question of one side holds to this, to these values, and one side holds to these values. We all hold the same values. We just weigh them differently. As all values do in life, they come in conflict with each other. There are times in life when you have to decide which is more important in this situation. And liberals tend to hold very highly to the idea of liberty and justice, and probably maybe maybe care. Right,
0: care. Is, care those are is the primary.
2: dominant values for liberals. Mm-hmm. And conservatives tend to hold authority, respect for authority and respect for that which is sacred sanctity and maybe loyalty. Yeah, loyalty. In the pinch, those get valued higher for conservatives and mm-hmm. in a pinch, the other the other ones get valued higher for liberals. But it doesn't mean that we don't hold them all in common. And that theoretically could give us a common language from which we could start talking with each other. And if if your concern is to open up fields of dialogue between yourself and those who disagree with you politically, one of the things you have to do is really look at the things that they do hold and recognize that you hold those things also and speak of the common ground in those values. It's just that they hold some things as dominant and other things as subdominant, whereas that kind of mirrors your own point of view that you hold the things they hold as dominant, you sort of hold as subdominant, and the things they hold as subdominant, you kind of hold as dominant. But ultimately, we are speaking the same language here.
0: Well, here's an Steve, example. Steve, these yeah. are
2: these are great, these
1: are uh, music terms he's using. I just want to point that out. Ah, Sub-dom- point. subdominant. Oh, okay, is, subdominant is the four chord, and dominant is the five chord. That's and I just good. want to point out that John Height has a video on these things. Dan, I don't, you probably haven't seen it. Steve sent me a great collection of videos. But he puts these on a graphic equalizer, mm-hmm. another musical piece yes. of equipment, right. and he said that conservatives tend to have them all at about the same volume level. A couple are slightly variant, but that liberals pulled the last three down right? and don't give them any...
0: Yeah, any I don't agree of, with that.
2: I don't well, agree with I'm, that. I'm just
1: saying what he said. Like, yeah, they, I know. Not, I know. They, don't care that, they don't care that
2: much about authority. No, I don't think that's true. As a thing. I don't think that's true. Everyone needs authority. What we've spoken of before about expanded transference, Uh we are all people that need authority. Our absolute core experience in life of every human being that ever lived, our core experience in life is being totally dependent on a higher power for our very existence. Hmm. And that stays with us our whole life. That, but, that, is, that is the core thing in your belly the, your whole life. And so all of us need to have authority. All of us need to feel that we're under authority. Or we, we feel best, let's say, when we really feel that we're under authority. But liberals may also see liberty and riddance of tyranny as a dominant good and respect for authority as a subdominant good. But to say that Conservatives hold everything equally and liberals let the last three drop out. That is not true in my experience at all.
0: But what I would say is that the liberal mentality, you're right, may value liberty more and so is concerned about oppression, but will value science, the scientific authority higher. Depends what you mean by
2: that. I don't hold scientific authority in that high regard. Scientific authority put its stamp of approval on eugenics, Eugenics, you know, scientific authority is what's given us the arms race. Scientific authority is what's (laughs) given us the so-called green revolution. But that just means using chemicals to squeeze the last drop of everything we can out of our soil and so forth. I don't really hold scientific authority in that high a regard. I think when we're talking about. Yeah, but you're a Ph.D., I mean you know, that's
0: easier for you.
2: But... I felt that way long before I was a PhD. Okay. I, scientific authority is what created the levees in New Orleans that then ended up flooding the whole city. Hmm. I think using evidence and a long-term sense of the rewards and achievements, that's one thing. But science doesn't really do that. I mean, for the most part, science is very much immediate oriented. If you took all Pentagon money out of science, there wouldn't be any science in America. Mm, You know, the the idea that there's some chemistry professor at the local college who's up in his lab there running these really interesting experiments, that's not what science is nowadays. Science is a major big business. And science is totally dependent on defense spending money. And why would we think that defense spending money would warp the results? yeah, Yeah. Why would we think that it would warp the results in atomic physics that is moving it towards creating a bomb and not in the area of psychology, which moves it in the direction of coming up with ever more efficient torture techniques. Well, let me give you-
1: Or giving everybody in the world SSRIs. Exactly.
2: Exactly. I mean, I I don't have that high regard. I have a high regard for evidence-based knowledge. Okay. But the idea that science- is our authority. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. So let me, um,
1: before you jump in, Steve, I want to ask one question because Steve and I talk about science when we were little and we have a picture of guys with white shirts and they had those plastic shirt pocket protectors in the pockets and a slide rule because there was no calculator. Right. But those guys, at least Steve and I think of as above what you're talking about now and you have i'm going to give you the perfect opportunity to shoot my shoot my childhood dream right out of the air. We thought What do that, you mean above? Well, I mean that those guys there was no amount of money you could offer them that would get them to lie about what their research proves. Do you really think that's true? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. That I liked then. thinking it was I liked thinking it was true. Do you think they were just as crooked then and
2: uh, up for sale? Those are the guys that that, those are the guys that gave us eugenics. Those are the guys that gave us the bomb. Those are the guys that gave us the quote green revolution. That I mean, the green revolution was a great thing. It fed a lot of people, but it also just meant we created a lot more people and kicked the ecological can down the road. I mean, it's really (laughs) look. I have a lot of respect for evidence based knowledge. I don't think that science has. More to tell us about where we should be going than anyone
0: else. Well, let me give you a different, completely different example. Set the science aside for a second. Here's from the November 27th New York Times. It's the, the day after Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. This is from a, a gentleman named Daniel Mach or Match. He's the director for the American Civil Liberties Union's Freedom of Religion and Belief Program. And he said, the freedom to worship is one of our most cherished fundamental rights, but it does not include a license to harm others or endanger public health. The article also says, the author of the article was just saying, if unconstrained religious observance and public safety were sometimes at odds as a governor, that's Governor Cuomo, and other public officials maintained, the Supreme Court ruled that religious freedom should win out. Now, I went back and looked at the First Amendment. The First Amendment of the Constitution says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So the Supreme Court originally, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg was alive, they ruled in favor of New York State. But then this suit came up to the Supreme Court again. It's being presented by Orthodox Jews and the Catholic Church in Brooklyn saying, Governor Cuomo cannot tell us to restrict the size of our congregations. And Cuomo was looking at his map and he finds an orange or you know, a red area and says, oh, that's a hot spot. You have to restrict your meeting to 10 people. And here's another spot. You can only have 25 people. And they're saying, hell no. No. That's an infringement on our religious right under the Constitution, and the new Supreme Court, which is more conservative, ruled 5-4 to against New York. So my reaction to this is that here we have the conservative preference for the sanctity moral foundation versus the liberal preference for the care-harm foundation— And then liberty and authority are also involved. Mm -hmm. And the conservatives maintain that the government does not have the power, as you say, to force people to wear masks, to force the people to limit the size of their groups and, and have COVID tests and the rest of it. So the Supreme Court, now a more conservative Supreme Court, sided with the moral foundation of sanctity. And said, no, you know, yeah, we have a pandemic. Yeah, we're concerned about harm. But the Constitution is saying, and that's the authority, the authority is saying sanctity is most important. And, of course, the liberals have their own responses to that. Is that a good example in your mind? Let me respond to
2: that, but let me back up a little bit. What was the rule there about religion can have freedom, but they can't impact negatively on the On On others, How, that read was, that, part. read okay. that part again. That
0: was the American. That's from, that's from the Constitution. No, no, that's the no. American Civil Liberties Union. Oh, okay. Oh, read okay. that again. It says the freedom to worship is one of our most cherished fundamental rights, but it does not include a license to harm others or endanger public health.
2: Okay. Now substitute the freedom of worship. Take that part out. Yep. And put in unlimited scientific inquiry. In its place, Ah. and read that sentence again.
0: Okay, so unlimited scientific inquiry is one of our most cherished fundamental rights, but it does not include a license to harm others or endanger public health. Wow! So now, so now, if we went back to
2: 1930 and just said as a rule of thumb, all scientific inquiry has to come through this filter, Mm. how much of what's happened would be strained out? I mean, scientific inquiry has been certainly it's had its good thing i'm not saying it's not like i say evidence based knowledge yes but but scientific inquiry has given us some of the worst elements of modern society that we have to deal with
0: but is it sanctified Horrible. is it held in the same regard as for religion? those of us
2: for those of us in the educated liberal group mm. i mean science 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 is practically our god that's what we genuflect right. to that's what we sure. so i'm saying that that's the first part to question The Mm -hmm. second thing would be how much different would things have been if Cuomo, instead of saying, Here's a map, there's a red spot, tell those people they can't, what if they'd have gone in, had his people go in there and sit down with the head rabbis and sit down with the priests and the archbishop or, or whatever of that area and say, Look, here's the problem. You don't want your people getting sick and dying. We also don't want other people to get sick and dying. Please, within the context of your community, Tell us what would make sense here. Right. Instead of saying, here's what you're going to do.
0: From from Albany, hundreds yeah. of miles away, you, right. you, you right. who because what they're going to do in city. Then
2: you do yeah. that, and you end up immediately with a contest between who's God.
0: Right. Are you guys right.
2: God, or is God God? Right. But if you come at it from the perspective, this is a community of people. They have different ways of doing things, different values, and asking them to work with you to come up with, I don't even want to say restrictions because that's already saying something, but that's already pointing towards a conclusion. But coming up with some ethic policy, ethics or policy, way of carrying on your worship and carrying on your belief system, and we totally respect that, but that will maximize safety. I don't think that those people would be backed off and, and feel up against the wall and feel they have to. No. And in fact, if, no, the, if right. it were the head rabbi and the archbishop or whatever that were saying to people, look, folks, you know, this is serious stuff. I've seen the computer models and this kind of stuff. And so here's what we're going to do. I, I think people would be happy to do it.
0: Now, here's the response from Cuomo. I don't have it written in front of me, but what he said was, oh, well, this is now a partisan Supreme Court. It's political these are Trump appointees that are voting mm-hmm. this way. And so he automatically politicized it. And you're right. He in no way sat down with the folks in Brooklyn with this bishop who was bringing the suit with, you're right, with this head rabbi. Who's it, bringing it never would have
2: gone that far. It, it never, never would have gone go-
0: that far. But the liberal mind is, well, these are super spreader events. And that word super spreader gets thrown around a lot. Yeah,
2: because it it justifies whatever
0: yeah. you're about to do. Yeah. But
2: an unspoken assumption in that is we know what's best, right? Why? Because science, right? So it's pitting one <laughs> it's pitting one god against another god. Right. Well, the yeah, and
0: the other side is saying we know what's best because god. god, right? And so I mentioned this to people in my family over the holidays, and one response was, "Yeah." And then they went out and had a 1,000 guest wedding i'm going uh with no masks uh super spreader event so the question in my mind was yeah was that a response to somebody with like you say with a boot on their neck
2: well i can guarantee we'll show you i can guarantee you that the chief rabbi i don't know if that was lubovitcher or Sotmore, but if the chief rabbi had been saying to people we have to take this seriously We want to carry on as much of our traditions and our worship and our life together as we can, but we need to do it in a responsible way. Let's try to think this through. Let's try to work things out. They would have had the wedding, right? but it would have been very different than the wedding they had. Yes. Yep. And everyone could rejoice with the couple and there could be... Mm -hmm all kinds of ecstatic dancing and all this kind of stuff that goes on at these weddings and the, and the community celebration of this formation of a new family. Right. But in ways that at least that wouldn't have been just seen as defiance, but would have been at least trying to act uh, responsibly responsibly in the context of an
0: epidemic. So in the, yeah. And in the context of a pandemic, the care harm, harm, concern becomes paramount particularly in the liberal mind and one of the things that i find most but it's ast-
2: there in the other what i'm saying is it's, oh, it's there, there on the other side too it's but a matter of how do you how do right. you how do you speak to that so that you're actually talking with each other instead right. of god versus god right whose god is more powerful
0: but here's the problem as i see it and i like you like to chat with people who are libertarians, who are conservatives. And I like to tune into Fox news now and then listen to uh, talk radio. One of the problems you run into is this team mentality or tribe mentality. So now what you're hearing on the right is, well, this pandemic, it's a flu it's only a slightly worse than the flu a couple years ago when 170,000 people died of influenza and pneumonia, pneumonia related illness. And so, okay, so we got 250,000 deaths. Well, when they had 170,000 deaths, they didn't have a lockdown. People didn't lose their jobs. We went ahead with it and look at the pandemic in 1918. Look how bad that was. We didn't have lockdowns then. And, and all of a sudden you're dealing with a negation of the severity of the pandemic. So now mask wearing becomes a political statement because you're saying, well, I'm taking this seriously. And the other person is saying, we don't take that seriously.
2: Right. The problem is, of course, the intervention has to come. It's like people say, well, what would you do if Hitler were going to murder your family? Would you still be nonviolent? Well, the point is, the interventions have to take place long before, you long before that you're of,
1: asking that question. Right. Yeah. And
2: so, for example, in this situation, it's not a question of Cuomo sticking up for the common good and the rabbis and the priests being selfish. Cuomo is the governor of the state of New York, which includes these people as their beloved citizens. The attitude is not who's more powerful. Once it gets to that, it's over with.
0: What it should have
2: been from the beginning is Cuomo's people going in there and saying, and when I say Cuomo's people, I mean, that could have been any, but with the authority of the state to go in and say, we really value the way that you guys live, and we don't want to interrupt that. But on the other hand, here's what our computer projections say about living in a pandemic, and we need you to help us learn how we can mitigate the danger while not interfering in any way that you feel is fundamentally destructive to your community, because that's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to destroy your communities. We value your communities very highly. Even if we don't believe the same way you do, we value the fact that there are people in our community that believe the way you do, and we don't want it less than that in any way. So please help us. Let's put our minds together. Come let us reason together is how the scripture says it. And figure out how we
0: can, you know, what makes sense here. But let me add another problem to this: a conservative reader of this article will see the inherent bias in the, the way the article is written. The liberal will not; they'll I read the. Did, New- I would. Yeah, you would, but the New York Times reader, the NPR listener, right? The typical liberal mind. We'll look at it and go, well, of course, care and harm has to be the most important thing. And, right. of course, they can practice their religion all they want. They just can't meet in groups of more than 10. But they can practice their religion if they want. And you go, whoa! Well, 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 wait a minute. Read between the lines in this article. The article is taking you into that conclusion. Into that camp. Into yeah. that camp. It's right. taking you there. And they feel that when they say, well, the New York Times is fake news, CNN right. is well, fake news.
2: Because when it comes down to it, I don't really know that your average reader of the New York Times really does value having these people as part of our community. Mm. I don't know that they really do. Value. I think they see them as sort of maybe like the way you'd think of, the I don't pearls. know, something on your, you know, some kind of outgrowth on your arm. It's not killing anything, but when it comes down to it, I don't think your average Well, I can't speak for that. Let's just say this. I think a lot of people, they don't spend very much time meditating on how much value having communities like this that are really countercultural bring to our society. They're sort of tolerant of them. They're like, okay, well, if they don't hurt anybody, you know, whatever. But the idea that we would be poorer without these communities, I don't think most people think that way. They think basically the kind of American culture that we have is what everything should be. We think oftentimes I've noticed this, a lot of people because I grew up in a Mennonite tradition where, where we also have our conservative side, you know, the black hatters, the Amish. Mm -hmm. Sure. And a lot of people, when they think about Amish children, for example, or they think I've noticed this just because that's what I'm closest to. But I see the same thing when we're talking about Lubavitchers and other kinds of the Satmars and other kinds of very conservative Judaism their assumption is that most of those children are chafing at the bit and can't wait to get out. That's not true. No, that's just not. not true. But that shows the bias that we have that we don't really value those communities. We don't really think that our lives would be poorer without them.
0: No. We just think of it in
2: terms of, of a power struggle. When it comes down to it, we tolerate them as long as they're not hurting anybody. But as soon as they start hurting anybody, then we go in full guns. And well, that's not democracy really. No,
0: They're a quaint curiosity, right? And, and you, in and that
2: sense, I agree with the I agree with the Supreme Court, with the current Supreme Court, mm-hmm. that we need to value religious liberty much more than we have in the past. I would agree with that from a different perspective than what, at least from the. I haven't read the whole. I haven't read the whole judgment there, the whole decision, but from the part that I've heard about on the talk shows, I would hold that from a different perspective than they wrote from. But for example, in my tradition, the question was had to do with, do Amish have the right to raise their own children for schooling, or do they need to send them to the public schools? And there, the question really came down to, and you can see this very clearly in retrospect, it really came down to the question of, is an Amish school valid? Every, every parent wants to educate their kids. They don't want to have uneducated kids. The question is, what are you educating them
0: for? And that came up in New York City in terms of these Orthodox right. Jews. And because so and they're so, saying the education that their young people was was getting did not meet the standards of the New York State Board right. of Ed. But, and, but what is
2: meant by that when they say it doesn't meet the standards? Right. Essentially, but, education, if you think of it this way, schooling right. is a continuation of the socialization process that started in the family. Yes. And when people say it doesn't meet the standards of the, of the state, what they're assuming is that the child needs to be educated in order, if they want to, at some point in the future, be able to fit into the wider society. Right. But if you're educating the child basically so that they're able to function fine within the small community, but they really don't have the knowledge they need or whatever to leave that community, that's
0: inadequate. Well, you know that's getting pretty close to tyranny when and that, you're and that telling was parents right and and that was the argument back what 30, 40 years ago against black studies in the university right. because the white establishment saw no value right. in learning about the struggle of African Americans throughout our history, the achievements of African Americans they just dismissed it. I said, no, no, we got more important stuff to teach you. Right. You can do that on your own.
2: We see that all along that what's going on is a struggle over the question of what are we preparing young people for in their education? Are, Are we preparing them to live in the communities in which they're born and nurtured? Or are we preparing them to live in communities in which they'll leave and just become part of America? Actually, even we don't even have to go to the religious stuff, just small town. People say you'd send them to college. That's just like putting a stamp on them and we never see them again. We're not sending kids to university so that they will then come back to their small town and enrich the life of that small town. We send them to universities so that they can become doctors and lawyers and things, which basically mean the big cities going to where the jobs are, you know, that kind of thing. And it's no wonder that people feel resentful of that
0: sure yeah absolutely now now to shift it a little bit further the pandemic seems to have really opened up this this fissure between liberals and conservatives in our society steve
1: steve Steve, before you go any farther with this, and while we're talking about creative ways of navigating this divide i don't know if you guys heard this but this podcast is being recorded around thanksgiving and we just had thanksgiving i don't know which state it was, I think, maybe California who had put limits. I think they put a limit of 10 people on a social gathering, mm-hmm, but I sure. think they put a limit of 30 people on a funeral. So what was said was uh, only have 10 people if you can, but if yeah. you have to have more, it's not a Thanksgiving celebration. It's a funeral For the turkey. (laughs) For the
0: turkey, right. That's a good one. (laughs) Yeah, I thought thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. And believe me,
2: if you're a Mennonite, you understand very clearly the idea that you'll find ways to stretch the rules so that you can live (laughs) within the rules, Okay, uh, Uh but you stretch them so that you can do what you want to (laughs) do.
1: Sir Thomas More was huge about that. When the king said, you have to take an oath, he'd say, well, let me see the oath. There may be a way to take it. Yes, right, right. exactly. You know?
0: Well. That's a, a fictionalized representation of what happened with Sir Thomas More. But anyway, so we've got these two notions of liberty versus the common good. And that's coming to the fore in this pandemic. And, and actually, this is coming from you, Dan, that we have to balance the two. You have to balance rights and responsibilities. You have to well, balance it's an ongoing the individual. process. It's balance. an ongoing process. We don't ever
2: reach an absolute no. balance. And, then, and no. then from then on, we just... We're it, done. It, life goes on. And what's a reasonable balance at one time becomes out of balance. And then we need to bring it back into balance. And so right. we're always striving for a balance that we probably never really reach. As soon as you think you've reached it, life has moved on. But for a healthy political life, it's the recognition that this is an ongoing dynamic that we hold in front of us right. and are moving towards constantly.
0: Yes. And we have said in the past that our society is out of balance in We've terms gone way of way to the edge of, yes. of, of in, individualism. Right. And you look at a society like North Korea and they're way out of balance in the other direction. Where, as far as we know, we don't really so. know much
2: about that society, but, we certainly know what society, I would say America in the fifties was way on the communal side. And so therefore guys like Lenny Bruce and people like that, they come along and they're going to challenge that. And, and
0: suffer as a result, there was a
2: time, for example, when saying the seven words that you can't say and, Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, that was a needed corrective to move us back in the other, to get us to question our commonplaces. But right. now when every other word is an, is the F word and, yeah. and people can access hardcore pornography f- for free, eight-year-olds can access hardcore pornography oh, yeah. on, the, on the internet for free. Screw Magazine is not a signal of freedom anymore.
0: No. Right. No, it's, no, it's, right. it's much the
2: other way. That's what yeah. I'm saying. and I think that when we're way out on this edge of where no one can tell anyone else what to do and every person just thinks that they're in it for themselves... That's the point in time in which we need very concertedly to start emphasizing the common good again and try to bring this pendulum back more towards the middle ground. Now, at some point, we may have to start moving it back the other way, too. And it yep. may be even on certain issues. The pendulum's not always at the same place throughout the whole society. On one issue, it may be swung very far one direction and on another one, it may be in, a, in the
0: other direction. The conservatives probably have the same concern for the common good, but without the kind of liberal emphasis that you hear. Whereas the libertarians are probably much more into their own personal freedom, their own own right to do what they want. And I respect that. And I I agree with them 50% of the time in terms of, yeah, yeah. they want to legalize drugs and they want to legalize prostitution and they and they're against war they don't like the idea of being taxed so that a trillion dollars could be spent on killing people in the middle east you know there are a lot of things that i look at their positions and i go yeah i i agree with that in principle anyway well you Uh, know what
2: this is they also want to get
1: they also want to get rid of public education
0: well then it gets into the craziness well
2: this was back in uh 77 1977 78 I was in seminary, and I had to write a senior thesis there, a senior, you know, a master's thesis. And this was at the time when liberation theology and Christianity and Marxism and all this kind of stuff was kind of the big, I don't want to say fad, because that's too dismissive, but getting a lot of attention on the left. I wrote a master's thesis that basically argued that if there is such a thing as a Christian politics, it would look much more like anarchy than it would anything yeah. else it would look much more like God is God and and that gives people tons of freedom and that Christian politics would be one that emphasizes that freedom and at that time nobody was saying this kind of thing I mean there was sure. Jacques Lowell you know who was right some stuff like that and maybe one or two others but the biggest difference was during the 80s the rise of the libertarians actually started to happen or you know the rise of the libertarian wing of the of what became the conservative movement, Back when you couldn't yet tell who was libertarian or Democrat, part and parcel of everything that was, in my understanding, of the anarchist vision of society is nonviolence and that we govern ourselves by voluntary associations, Mm -hmm. by a, a whole network of voluntary associations. Well, the people that came to fore in the, quote, libertarian political philosophy area they couldn't shovel enough money to the, you know, they said the government is not justified to do anything except defense yes. and enforce contracts. Right. Well, both of those you're talking about, the, those are the coercive ends of government. Yeah. The military on the one side and the police force on the other side, which is ultimately what enforcement of contracts comes down to.
0: I immediately realized, oh, well, this is not what I'm talking about at all. And I stopped using that kind of terminology. But you see, if Jonathan Haidt, spells out his moral foundations in terms of liberal versus conservative i think he's got to now go back and look at them again in terms of libertarian we know where the greens are the greens are out there on the the left but the libertarians seem to value different moral foundations or they emphasize them more i should say than do conservatives and liberals like their whole thing about liberty libertarian, is almost a religion. Everything gets filtered through this concept of liberty. Well, that's true enough, but what I would really like to see
2: at this point would be someone who's totally versed in libertarian ideology and has been a spokesperson for libertarian ideology. Now, at this point, come back around and say, what are the common foundations that we owe each other? Anybody who says you don't know anything to anybody, they're just out in the left field. I mean, that's yeah. very clear that much as I might like to walk around and think, oh, well, I don't know anything to anybody. I'm yeah. going to get into a car that I didn't build, <laughs> right. drive it You're on, gonna drive it on I a I road that build. you didn't build yeah, right? and, and or so maintain. Was, yeah. yeah. So what I would like to see is a serious libertarian philosopher who's going to be spending the next 10 years, at least, articulating what it is that from a libertarian perspective, makes sense about what we owe each other. Yeah, And what does that really mean? And so, for example, one thing they might say is, well, the common defense, that's something we owe each other. Well, what does the common defense mean in the time of a pandemic? Mm, yeah. You see what I'm saying? What, sure. Let's don't just throw out some areas and then forget about them. Let's really explore them yeah. and ask ourselves, if we recognize that we owe each other common defense, which I think most libertarians would say we do, Sure. then what does common defense mean when the quote enemy is not a foreign invader, but it's a virus? True. Let's have some political philosophy about that. Let's have some deep political discussion about Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Not just throw slogans around at each other. Let's have some deep thinking about that. And we might well come up with some things that, people would agree with across the board. From the most liberal liberal to the most libertarian libertarian, we would come up with ideas that all of us could nod our head to and say, yeah, that's right. That makes sense. Let's implement that. So Dan, so, if
1: we if we can find that libertarian uh, philosopher, would you join a
2: discussion? Well, I certainly would. Yeah. Well, that would be interesting. Yeah. Although I'd probably rather just read their books because I think better when I'm reading and meditating than when I'm just parlaying back and forth you know what i'm saying
1: yeah but we don't think anybody's going to tune in to watch a video of you reading a book
0: <laughs> well, maybe they will yeah maybe. Right. but see dan i love what you're saying i absolutely do and so one of the things that ken had brought up when he and i were talking about this he says you use this question and we wanted to bring it back to you now yeah this is my new favorite question and and it's right. yours what can we live with and not live with there are things in this conservative libertarian position that I can live with. Right. And then there are a couple like Ken brings up public education. Let's just disband public education. And I go, mm, sorry, I can't live with that one. What do you well, see? Even down,
2: at, even down at the most basic level yeah. in my neighborhood, I would mow my yard differently than one of my neighbors. And I would, I'm sure some of my neighbors that probably are a little irked about the fact that I'm not such a big uh, yard you know, keeper, big on weed, weed killing. You know, they want to have, yep. you know, yeah. and, and my dandelions spill over into their yard and all oh, that. Kind oh, of the dandelions! But oh. on the whole, but on the whole, we can live with each other. Mm-hmm. Sure. And even if someone started throwing their garbage out into their yard, to a certain extent, we could live with that. But it would reach a point where we couldn't live with that anymore. Right. If four neighbors started doing that or many neighbors started and that's bringing in the raccoons, which is then bringing in the coyotes, which is mm. then bringing in, you know, at some point we'd have to say, we can't live with this anymore. And we need to come up with some kind of communal agreement that's going to fold things back a little bit, move things a few steps backwards. And that's kind of how I would envision, envision a free society. When we're talking about, well, let's say any any kind of social issue where we're having disagreements with each other. Mm-hmm. It's not a question of coming up with the policy that everyone agrees with. It's coming up with enough of a balance that we can all live with it. Right. That we don't feel that we have to that we have to go out and, and try to, I don't know. I, I mean there's nothing wrong with trying to change someone's point of view, but do it in a way that's coercive, that we have to bring the, I don't know, bring the thought police. The thought police, right. right. We want people to have freedom, individual freedom and so forth, but we live within a community, and so ultimately, we have to ask ourselves, what can we live with? Just like we we're speaking about at one point about the question of where does life begin and therefore have an abortion right. policy. We're never right. going to answer that question where life begins. What we can do is answer the question and it may not be a once and for all thing. It may be something that sw- swings, you know, that ba- goes back, yeah. yeah, that swings. But ask ourselves the question: At what age will we have bodily integrity trump the fetal life to life that we can live with? That the majority right. of us can say, "Okay, I may like it or I may not like it. I'd rather have it be much more time, or I'd rather have it be much less time, but or huh? no time at all, not at no all, no time can you at do all, that but, ever." Well, there, might, those people may never be happy. Yeah, if, probably if really, not. And then the question is, you got a sperm and an egg. Why is it okay to not allow a sperm and an egg to meet in the first place? Isn't that taking away someone's potential life? It never ends is the point.
0: Well, that gets to contraception, which some people consider a mortal sin. Well, and, good uh, for them. Good
2: yeah, well, for them. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm, well, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm glad they're part them. of our
2: society, yeah, but, but well, I think any of those people recognize that if they try to make a big deal out of that, they're not going to get nowhere. And right. so, that because it's it's such a minority view, well, I am glad that they hold that view. I'm glad that those people are part of our society. But ultimately, what we're looking for is that place where most people can feel okay about not to say they love it, but we can live with it. Well, that's really all democratic politics is about.
0: It's coming it's, up with, but it's also, with, but that's Rick Santorum, okay, who was a U.S. senator who ran for president at one point. So it is conceivable that you could have a U.S. president with that view. Well, I think that's Biden's view. It's very probable. Yeah, I think that's Pence Biden's probably view. probably Pence's view. Well, Biden, yeah. No, he no, no. no, 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 yeah. no.
2: Pence is way off on the, Pence, yeah. uh, I, mean, I don't know, maybe yeah. I, but my my understanding is that Pence is way off on the conception side of things. Pence is not saying I can live with six weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever. Pence is saying that may be as good as we can do now, but ultimately we want to keep shoving it back and shoving it back.
0: That's right. So well, I, don't saying think Biden... Pence,
2: I don't think Pence would ever be in the situation where if someone were trying to shove it back, he would be defending the need to keep it mm. where it is. You I agree. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, that's, I hear a, you too. that's a but, different kind of thing.
0: But you're saying Biden would ultimately take the Catholic position. He's a Catholic. He's an Irish Catholic. He would ultimately take the position that contraception should oh, be no, 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 no. Or... I wasn't
2: talking about contraception. Oh, okay. I was talking about abortion. abortion. I think
0: Biden, right. yeah. Roman Catholic, yeah. I think
2: on the whole, he supports the Catholic point of view. And mm-hmm. even on birth control, as far as I know, mm-hmm. although he doesn't have a dozen kids, he only has two. So, left. so two they left. Might... Yeah. Yeah. You're you're, two, yeah. You're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't, have yeah. been, I, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't speak flippantly about that yeah. at all. But the point is, A lot of Catholics practice birth control, even though they they know that they don't hold to the doctrine of the Catholic Church. But anyway, the point is, even if Biden were, you know, when it comes to holding in his own life the precepts of the Catholic Church on contraception and abortion, as president, he would recognize that his view is out of step with the majority Mm -hmm. and that he would be supportive of finding a compromise position Right. with all the members of society that at least we can all live with. There may be very few people that feel that that's the ideal position, but it's something we can live with. Given that you and I have to live together in this country and work together, it's clear I'm not going to convince you and you're not going to convince me. So
0: what can we come up with that everyone can at least live with? And is that what you see as the, the way to unite our fractured society someday?
2: Approach I think it that way. I mean, it's a question of chicken and the egg. I think if we had a dynamic democratic society, not just structurally, but in people's hearts, dynamic democracy, then I think that those kind of compromises on all kinds of issues would emerge organically. Mm. And again, you know, things might swing this way a little and that way a little and, and et cetera, et cetera. But people that have democracy in their hearts are not looking to lord it over everyone else. They're looking to respectfully find those areas, that territory in which we can all live together and feel good
0: about each other. Right. Right. Is there anything else you want to add in this conversation? This has been another good one.
2: Well, only that this is the kind of thing, this idea that this balance between what what Becker called maximum individuality within maximum community Mm -hmm. and how that's the dynamic process that's all stuff you find in his early works. And it certainly is enhanced by the death anxiety thesis and all these other things, but vice versa, the death anxiety thesis and all the implications of that. And, the, and especially the extreme pessimism of, about society and all is helped by digging into some of this earlier stuff and bringing it into a conversation with the later stuff. Right. Instead of just ignoring it.
0: Fascinating. Dan, this has been another terrific conversation. It's just we've got to do it again. Just, <laughs> we've got a lot of a lot more of these kinds of questions that really need your insight. But thank you. This is.
2: But I suggest next time, or at least we look forward to a future in which we can crack a cold one and do it instead of on Zoom. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, <laughs> amen you, to that. Amen hey. to
0: that,
2: brother. <laughs> Steve and I, Steve and I, are forty-five minutes apart, and we're not
1: even having a beer. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I <laughs> so- mean, that's
0: the reality. It's- <laughs> we started this when the pandemic hit. And yeah. I think we've had like maybe one, two sessions where we were in the same room together. Everything yeah. else
1: has been remote. The very the very first one, the pandemic was just breaking in the news.
2: Yeah. It was rough.
0: Well, I definitely want to say Yeah. Go ahead. I Brian. definitely
2: want to say to anyone listening, drink responsibly.
0: <laughs> but on the other
2: hand, a little bit of lubrication is also what I think of as the democracy of the heart. And and the kind of democratic discussion that we would have.
0: There you, know, you go. A little another, bit of
2: lubrication never hurts. Another <laughs> there you Another
0: go. important idea. Another important idea. <laughs> Dan, this thank one you was so full much. Of them. This has been great.
1: Thank All you. Right. Thanks, Dan. You've been listening to an interview with Dan Lichty on ways to unite opposing alignments in 21st century America. So, Ken, what's your takeaway? Well, I have to say, Steve, Dan did it again. I know, I know what you're going to say. You ask him a question, you more or less know or think you know what he's going to say, and his answer turns your head completely around. Doesn't it? He started out with a straightforward discussion about moral foundations theory. He said there are values all people have in common, but that for some the values are dominant and for others they are subdominant. The differences between people are not differences of kind, but differences of emphasis. He then enumerated the six moral
0: foundations. So let me take a stab at them. Number one, care slash harm, a sense that you should act in a caring way and not purposefully harm another. Fairness slash injustice, it's good to treat people with fairness and justice, not to cheat them in general. Loyalty slash betrayal, that relates to in-group preferences. So to do harm to your own group is treason or betrayal. Liberty slash oppression. There's a preference for people to feel free, a sense that their life is their own rather than being tyrannized by others. Authority slash subversion. We all live under authority. We owe certain kinds of allegiance to that authority and view people who undermine it as subversive. And the last one is sanctity slash degradation. There are certain things that We hold holy and sacred, that we treat with respect, and we are outraged or nauseated by desecration. In all cultures, there are things that are holy, but they vary from culture to culture. So moral foundations theory gives us a window. Dan says we all
1: hold these six values, but one may trump another when weighing one value against
0: another. And if we want to open a dialogue with people we disagree with politically, we should look for the things that we both hold in common and find common ground. So some of the values may be dominant to you and subdominant to them, so we need to recognize that. So far, so good. So far, so good. We're all on the same page. Then we have a Dan surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Dan says... He disagrees with Jonathan Haidt about liberals having very little emphasis on loyalty, authority, and sanctity compared to conservatives. Now, remember that Haidt is one of the developers of moral foundations theory and wrote the popular book about it called The Righteous Mind. Haidt is adamant about the liberal-conservative dichotomy that he promotes in TED Talks and on Bill Moyer's show, a video that we watched. But Dan unexpectedly brings in the Ernest Becker concept of
1: expanded transference. Dan maintains that our basic core experience in life is being totally dependent on a higher power for our very existence, and that that
0: stays with us our whole life. And he says, all of us need authority, but liberals may hold liberty as a dominant good and respect for authority as subdominant. I have to go along with Dan on this one. Good, because the whole expanded transference idea threw you for a loop last time, but it does make perfect sense to look at moral foundations theory from an Ernest Becker perspective, which I don't know if Heights ever read Ernest Becker. So anyway, I think liberals have their authorities. They may be different from conservatives' authorities, But. There's always a but. But but at the time in the interview, I wanted to say that liberals respect science as an authority. And Dan shot that one right down. Yeah, that was really unexpected. I was surprised. Dan doesn't
1: hold scientific authority in very high regard. He says using evidence and long term rewards and achievement is one thing, but he says science doesn't really do that. He said science today, for the most part, is very immediate-oriented. It's dependent mostly on Pentagon money, and it's a major big business. He said defense spending warps the results in an atomic physics experiment towards creating a bomb, and in the area of psychology towards ever more effective
0: torture techniques. He said he has a high regard for evidence-based knowledge, but doesn't agree with science as our authority. He said, for the liberal the liberal group, science is practically a god. That's what we genuflect to. And boy, I was stunned. But in a way, he's right. Oh, yeah. I just never thought of it that way. See, while he was talking, suddenly I saw the environment problem in a whole new light. If we, we liberals are genuflecting to science as a god... And the other side is okay with evidence-based knowledge, but not science as an ultimate authority, then bringing up consensus among scientists about global warming is irrelevant. Right? I was too discombobulated to bring it up because we were talking about the pandemic, but we'll need to explore this one in the future. You're not kidding. And I'm not disagreeing with Dan. I think he's right on. He has this keen ability to see another side, one he may not agree with, but that he respects. He
1: respects people, even ones we may look at as fringe. He's able to pull out the unspoken assumption, we know what's best. Why? Because of science. Yep. We're pitting one god against another god instead of
0: dialoguing with people we may disagree with. And this unspoken assumption gets at an unconscious assumption that you might not even be aware of. So Dan's suggestion on how New York Governor Andrew Cuomo should have approached the Orthodox Jews in Brooklyn is outstanding. He's saying Cuomo should have started with, we value you. We may not share your beliefs, but we want you in our community— Let's reason together, as scripture says. I've never heard anything like that being applied to the conflict between New York State and religious groups during the pandemic. Instead, it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and when he lost, Cuomo mischaracterized the decision as political. I think Dan's approach is remarkable. Steve, you'd brought up a recent newspaper article, and Dan
1: asked, Do you think the average reader of the New York Times really value the people of that other community? It's an insightful question. I'm pretty sure they don't. Dan doesn't think a lot of people spend much time meditating on how much value counterculture communities like the Orthodox Jews in Brooklyn bring to our society. Most people think that the kind of American culture that we have now is the only way it should be. He was raised Mennonite and has a unique perspective. We talked about liberty versus the common good. Dan says we never reach a balance. It's an ongoing process. This is an important idea. For a healthy political life, we have to recognize that this is an ongoing dynamic, one we are moving toward constantly.
0: Dan agrees that our society has gone way to the edge of individualism. This is something that you and I have talked about on these podcasts before. He noted that America in the 1950s was way on the communal side and that people like Lenny Bruce challenged that and paid a price for it. It was a needed corrective at the time. But now we're way out on this edge where no one can tell anyone else what to do. Every person thinks that they're just in it for themselves. Yeah, we need to
1: start emphasizing the common
0: good again. Now, this one got me. Dan said that if there's such a thing as Christian politics, it would look much more like anarchy than anything else. The anarchist's vision of society is nonviolence, that we should govern ourselves by a network of voluntary associations. Have you ever heard that before? No. No. When I thought about it for a little bit, I've heard things like that from anarchists but not that specific so he contrasts this vision with the libertarian idea that government is not justified to do anything except defense and enforcement of contracts but then dan notes that those are the coercive ends of government military on one side and police force on the other i never looked at it that way
1: he asks If the common defense is something we owe each other, what does common defense even mean in a pandemic when the enemy is not a foreign invader, but a virus? (laughs) Yeah. Dan's calling for a deep political discussion, not just throwing slogans at each other. He says we might come up with ideas that all of us could agree make sense. And then
0: Dan ventured into the issue of abortion. He says it hinges on his ultimate question. What can we live with? What can we live with? We're never gonna satisfy both sides completely. There has to be a compromise. It comes down not to what each side wants, they'll never be satisfied. It comes down to what both sides can live with. It's the same with contraception, although that's not as big a deal. Dan says
1: we're looking for that place where most people can feel okay about it. Not
0: that they love the result, but that they can live with it. Yeah, Dan says, and I love this phrase, democracy in their hearts, right? Dan says that people who have democracy in their hearts are not looking to lord it over everyone else. They're looking to respectfully find that territory in which we can all live together and feel good about each other. Dan ended the session talking about Ernest Becker's early works
1: and how it related to what we're discussing. He said that the balance we talked about, the balance between what Becker called maximum individuality within maximum community, is a dynamic process. Understanding that helps mitigate the extreme pessimism about society that you find in Becker's later works.
0: Yeah, it makes me want to read or reread Angel in Armor and The Revolution in Psychiatry, did you ever read The Structure of Evil?
1: I did read The Structure of Evil many, many moons ago. And after hearing this Dan talk, I'm going to go back and read, reread the early stuff, Angel in Armor and the Revolution in Psychiatry. I have them all here. I haven't read them in a long while.
0: I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with The Structure of Evil, because I don't remember reading that one. I'm going to start there and work back.
1: We definitely have some reading to do. Right. Maybe we'll ask Dan back to explain it to us. Yes, that would, yeah. (laughs) And maybe we could, at that time, crack open a cold one, as he put it.
0: As he put it, yes. Maybe we get the glyph notes, too. But anyway, about the cold one, I'd rather imbibe after we talk. You know, I'm a lightweight when it comes to alcohol and the like. As Dan says, a little lubrication never hurts. Words to live by. Good idea.
1: Steve, important ideas.
0: Yeah, a lot of important ideas again this time. So, so folks, join us next time. Like us on Facebook. We're grateful for your encouragement. Please recommend us to your friends. You can find us at www.thehubforimportantideas.com. And support us on Patreon at
1: www.patreon.com. The Hub Important Ideas. We are 100% listener-supported, and we are most grateful for your support.
0: Thank you for listening to The Hub for Important Ideas. I'm Steve James. And I'm Ken Swain. Stay safe, everybody. Stay well.